Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 16, The Goblet of Fire, today, and we have Elizabeth back on. Hey everyone! Uh, Before we get started in the chapter, I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. I did. And a great start to 2023. (laughs) It's kind of weird that we're already in 2023. It still feels like 2019 to me, to be honest. <laughs> a life after the pandemic does not count. At least we were, hopefully most of us were able to have uh, wonderful holidays with family, with friends. Yeah, a healthy one. Uh, and health, yes, absolutely healthy. Because uh, that has been a rarity the last several years. <laughs> so, And to think that we're at January and we're not halfway through this book yet, or we're about halfway through this book. Well, I love the fact that it's we're finally at the book chapter. That's the name of the book. Like yeah. you know how sometimes they have like with movies, or like when the book says when the movie says the name of the movie, then it's like ah, oh, that's the end. Like this book would end on page two fifty five, the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, we're we're I guess we're about halfway, a little less than halfway. So yeah. we still got a while to go in this book. <laughs> Uh, I would like to shout out uh, Maria T, which you can find her on Twitter at Maria Tadoja. That's T O D O S I A underscore at the end of that. Uh, hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Uh, but she left just a really sweet comment for us on Twitter when we dropped our Christmas Eve episode on mm-hmm. the 24th that uh, the best Christmas gift I could have wished for. That's adorable. Thank you so much. It did. It made me smile as well. (laughs) That's an awesome comment. Thank you very much for that. We really, really appreciate it. I love all the Twitter interaction, you guys. So please keep it coming. Yeah, it means a lot to us uh, just seeing that people are actually listening and caring about what we're putting (laughs) out there, which is always really cool. So anyway, uh, let's get back into the world of Harry Potter here. So like Elizabeth mentioned, this is the title chapter. Which, like, when you first got to this chapter, the first time you read it, were you like, oh, here we go. This is, this is like, the main part. There definitely is that anticipation. I feel like, you know, usually it's when you get to Hogwarts. And right. the book, like, really starts to go. Right. And there's been some... It's This book has been a roller coaster ride. It's been... It starts off with the Frank Bryce chapter, which is really strong. And then it kind of dips for a couple of chapters, because we're at the Dursleys for so long. So long. Then we're at the Quidditch World Cup, and it peaks again, and it's really cool and exciting. Uh, and then then it just, I guess, steadies itself, because the Moody classes have been really interesting lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you get the schools coming in, uh, and it, it's really cool. Now, in this chapter, you have to... <laughs> there's this really interesting high school first lunch period of the year vibe, where... <laughs> We're like checking each other out. No, it's like we're we're you're trying to figure out where to sit. Oh, right. Which table right. are you going to sit at? Right. And you have uh, bow battens, or as Anna likes to call them, bow baton, <laughs> and Durmstrang, and they're trying to figure out like where exactly should we sit. Well, here. to be fair, like they're not told where to sit, and it's not like there's special chairs set aside for them, so it would be intimidating. Of where should I go? Well, that's why I'm wondering. Like, obviously, the Hogwarts students were told very little to nothing. Right. About these other two schools. Right. 
Were the other two schools told anything about Hogwarts at all? Very, very little, it seems. I mean, like, when they were looking around at the decorations mm. and the goblets and stuff, like, some of them are impressed. Some of them are less impressed. But they're looking around like, whoa, this place. Like, how much do you know about the other schools? Very it, little, it seems. I would assume they know that Albus Dumbledore is the headmaster. Well, because Dumbledore. I would, I would assume And Dumbledore that. doesn't, like, make a secret of such things. But you'd think, like... Maybe they should have been told about, oh, this is broken down into four houses. These are what the houses are generally about. Okay, here's a thought that I just had. You know there's Hogwarts of history, obviously. Obviously. Do you think there are... Thank you for the mention. <laughs> Do you think there are history books for these other schools that could be readily purchased and studied upon? Do you think Hermione's done that? I, Hermione has definitely looked into, like, when Malfoy dropped the name of Durmstrang, mm -hmm. Hermione notes that there are other schools, and she has looked into them because of some international wizarding book that she found and read. Right. So, to some extent, yes. I don't know if it's the same as in, like, giving out secrets of the schools. Well, because I know, but... like, the kids, like, from um, Durmstrang, they look up at the ceiling and they're like, whoa, look at the enchanted ceiling. It's like, well, that's in Hogwarts of History. They could easily have read that, you know? True, but reading and actually seeing are two different things. True. Very true. Um, but anyway, you get uh, Bo Batons at the Ravenclaw table, mm -hmm. and you get Durmstrang at the Slytherin table. Where would you have sat down, do you think? I see, I... If I were one of these students, I don't know that I'd have any inclination of what's going on. <laughs> so, I don't know. It probably, which I looked at the students and whichever seemed more friendly, I guess I would sit there. I feel like I'd probably just do Ravenclaw simply because they're blue and it's my favorite color. It'd be as, as shallow as that. <laughs> well, it seems to be made by group decisions. Like, the whole schools are sitting at one table. Yeah, so I'd be the first one to sit down at Ravenclaw and everyone would follow me. I'd be a trendsetter. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, there was an interesting stat there that said barely 20 students. Yeah. Between the two schools. Yeah, which is crazy. So you'd think roughly 10 per school. Which then makes you wonder about the size of the schools because if they're bringing most of their 17-year-olds, then... That would be sixth and seventh year. You know, I mean, some of the six years, but seventh years. You could look at it that way, and that's a totally reasonable way to look at it. The other way to look at it is the headmasters cherry-picked their mm -hmm. ten best students. Yeah. And they're like, these are our pinnacle students. We think they not only have a chance to get picked, but win. I just get the impression that they would bring anyone they possibly could so that... If the goblet picks it, picks like, you know, the best of the best, then it's like, well, if I didn't think they were the best, but the goblet thought they were best, then they have the best shot of winning and, you know, bringing glory to our school and name. I think I would actually do it the way that they did it. And I kind of wonder why Dumbledore doesn't. With what? With choosing. Like, hey, forget this age line thing. Yeah. These are our best. <laughs> like, they've been the best from year one to year seven. They've earned it through grades and achievements and accolades and whatever have you. These are our best students. Like, let's put our best students forward. Do you want to know the real world teacher answer for that? 
Can't do that because parents would complain. We are talking about Hogwarts. I don't care. Parents when, are parents. No, 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 no. When has Dumbledore ever given any cares <laughs> to what parents have said? Also, but the thing is, how many times... it's not just Dumbledore. It's also the Ministry of Magic, the international aspect, and also, the money prize. Also, though, let's be real. How many parents, other than Lucius Malfoy, have <laughs> ever raised one word to Dumbledore? You don't know that. There could be more than just Malfoy. Dumbledore carries a lot of weight and a lot of respect. Yeah, I, he I does, think... but if my kid has the shot to win so much money and glory and fame, and you said, no, I don't want your kid because I don't like them, I might complain a little bit. Uh, no. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think so. I think between... I think modern day parents would. In real life? 100%. Absolutely. 100%. But in the world of an Albus Dumbledore run school, I think if he laid down I the... think also Dumbledore just sees everybody as having the potential and he's not going to single somebody out as having potential versus somebody else being like, well, because I didn't choose you, clearly that means I don't think as highly of you. He's not that kind of person. I have more to say on it, but we can get more to say when the champions are actually picked <laughs> and then we can go from there. Okay. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> So uh, we get the schools coming in, and obviously the normal feast occurs, except it's a little different in that they're given regional dishes as well as their normal food. Well, that and there seems to be a center of attention from each school. Like, everyone is freaking out over Crumb. Understandably. Understandably. He's, like, he's legitimately famous. famous yeah. But it does make me laugh because it's like, you guys go to school with a famous person. You just have forgotten how famous Harry Potter is. Well, that's a good question. Let me let me come back and maybe this is a Jen question. I don't know. <laughs> but you have Harry Potter famous uh -huh. and you have Victor Crumb famous. Uh-huh. Who is more famous between the two? Well, I feel like it's it's like historical fame versus like entertainment fame. Which entertainment fame should So who's be more lower. famous? Who's more famous? Well, okay, I think Abraham it's... Lincoln or Kim Kardashian, who's more famous <laughs> in the moment, who has the longer legacy, Harry Potter. <laughs> but I think that I mean they're kids; they haven't seen what Harry has done. I mean, they have heard tidbits of what he's done, not just with Voldemort, but in his past three years of Hogwarts. But they didn't witness it. Whereas with Crumb, you can witness his athletic ability. And the entertainment factor of it. Plus, like, the World Cup just happened and some of them got to see it. So I think in the moment, Crumb is more famous. But they've also gotten used to Harry as just being a person at school. So they're not really thinking about okay. his fame. You're taking it locally. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned Crumb was in the World Cup. Right. I, get, I, I agree with you that Harry Potter is probably more famous in England or in the UK region. But it's hard to determine just how far that Voldy reach got internationally. True. True. Whereas Crumb was literally a star in the World Cup. People from Argentina to Russia to Canada well, were even, talking about Victor Even Crumb. if like there's not the stretch of Voldemort, I mean, two chapters ago, Moody just said how Harry is the only person in the entire world sure. who has survived Avada Kedavra, so, like, that's famous. It's very famous. <laughs> I just wonder, like, you know, because sport is so, like, 
It's so vague. If we're going real world here, it's so vague. In a in a real, not the joke context that I threw out earlier, but the uh, Leo Messi just mm-hmm. won the World Cup for Argentina. Mm-hmm. Well, football is so big worldwide. Right. Not as big here in the United States, yeah. but worldwide, it's massive. Right. So you might not know who Leo Messi is or be able to recognize him. But probably 75, 80% of the rest of the world knows exactly who that man is. Right. So is he more famous than maybe like a politician who's done something or a Nobel Peace Prize winner who's done something? fame versus legacy. Like who has the longer lasting impact? It's an interesting question that I just thought of like right now. Who's, who do you think is more famous? Yeah. Harry Potter or Victor Crumb in the world? And I mean like we... That's a poll for Twitter. That's what that is. (laughs) I mean, you know, the Hogwarts kids are certainly impressed. I mean, Ron is, like, falling over himself trying to to see Crumb and get a, exactly. get a yeah. signature from He's, he's not the only one. You get all these six-year girls who are trying to oh, find a quill. No, not even that. Lipstick, right? Well, that's what they had to resort them, to. None of them have a quill. Right. I'm surprised Hermione didn't have a quill, honestly. She seems like the kind of person who's always carrying one around. Poor Hermione was, like, offended from start to finish in to this chapter. To be fair, I mean, like, you have, what, like, first Ron is going, like, falling over himself to look at Crumb, and then talking about... Well, she was offended even by the six-year girls fawning over Crumb. Well, because it's like, are you kidding me? Like, he's a man, he's a person, calm, calm yourself. But that plus the bow battens, right, that's how we say it? Bobaton, Bobaton. I don't know how. Whichever way you want to go. The the French women, um, very attractive, especially the one whom Ron seems to think is Vila or has Vila blood at least. And I mean, Hermione is like, calm down. Like, yes, she's attractive, but like, there are attractive women at Hogwarts too. And also, those girls were like, well, mocking Hogwarts a little bit of like. Dumbledore saying, I hope you're comfortable. And they're like, <laughs> like, oh, shut your face. Okay, two very different thoughts on that. Because you went two different directions on that. <laughs> um, the first, I'll go with the that comment. That snarky laugh uh-huh. that was made. It makes me wonder, like, where exactly in France are they? Because mm-hmm. there are cold parts of France. Mm-hmm. So are they, I imagine, by the way they are dressed and the way they scoffed, and, right, and, and like all that clutch kind of stuff. their clothes to themselves. I imagine they're from the the school is in the south of France, like on right. the Mediterranean, right. like the warmer part of France, right? And not either in the mountains to the south or north. Mm-hmm. I would imagine south of France, nice Mediterranean. No, school. I'm, I'm imagining like a beautiful, like a chalet, yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. Like a yes, gorgeous, gorgeous place to learn. But going back to your other comment. I, I will 100% agree with you that Ron and Harry start having a conversation that should probably just be between them in their dorm. I mean, it, Ron said they don't make them like that at Hogwarts. It's an inappropriate right comment. Right next to Hermione. Yeah, it's an inappropriate comment. I'll give you that 100%. Uh, he's full-on objectifying women. Oh, 100%. In this little part of this chapter. Uh, and then Harry is just absentmindedly like, well, I don't know. They make them pretty good at Hogwarts, <laughs> which is just a weird comment in general. But And he's just like thinking about Cho over there with her silver, or not silverly hair. She's next to the girl, close to the girl with the silver yeah, At the same hair. table, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Hermione's like, well, put your eyes back in your head and pay attention to what's going on. Uh, I feel with all of the talk about hair just recently, I will take a pause and take the most (laughs) 
random <laughs> tangent that I've ever taken on this podcast. Guys, I saw it in his notes. I was like, what is this? Hey, I have fully, full disclosure, <laughs> this is the most random thing I've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know about that, but we'll see. Well, I, I don't know where I necessarily popped into my head or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, and, and maybe it was, the long, swishing hair, or maybe, the talk of Albus's long beard and hair. Crouch talking about his his toothbrush mustache and maybe. I parted don't hair. Anyway, my random comment. <laughs> How and or where do Hogwarts students get their hair cut? <laughs> Think about it. We never hear anything about it, ever. Do they just magically do it themselves? There has to be, like, magic Does Madame Pomfrey do it? Is she, like... Talented in a different way? Or is there like a barber shop in the dungeon somewhere? I, <laughs> like, what is going on there? I feel like no barber shop would want to be down in the dungeons by Snape. Next to the Hufflepuff comedy. Imagine room. like if there was like, like some... <laughs> I mean, how many times has Harry talked about how greasy Snape's hair is? Like if he had to walk by a barber shop every day and he was like, Want a haircut, Severus? <laughs> I just, I have no idea... <laughs> What goes on there? But I don't know. Maybe, I'm sorry. That's maybe a that's tangent. a holiday task. Every time they're home for the holidays, it's haircut time. Maybe I don't know. I apologize <laughs> for the randomness. Maybe that's also but... why in the movies they have such god awful haircuts going on. They they had the exact same thought as you and were like, hmm, yeah, they don't get haircuts. Maybe let's that's, let it grow. Maybe it's just part of the magic of Hogwarts where you don't need a haircut. Who knows? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> let us know what you think. Uh, anyway, so. It, there are important parts of this chapter. Uh, we get. <laughs> you mean the title of the book chapter has important stuff in it? So we get to the actual uh, Goblet of Fire introduction. Which it does look very cool. Uh, it's a normal looking goblet. It kind of reminds me a little flames. bit of um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, where it's like the um, the cup that the chalice that like Jesus supposedly drank out of and also caught his blood and whatever. The Holy Grail. The Holy Grail, right? And Indiana Jones sees it and it's just so normal looking. And that's with this goblet. Like there's nothing particularly exciting about it other than it came in a casket and yeah. It Bejeweled has, casket, and it casket has with the, uh, the blue, blue flames. Blue white frames, flames, yeah. So, uh, Dumbledore essentially gets to the whole meat of the thing. He says there's three tasks to mm-hmm. this, uh, and they specifically test magical prowess, daring, powers of deduction, and ability to cope with danger. Right. Uh, all essential qualities to being a phenomenal wi- witch or wizard. And there are special rules to the goblet, too, right? All they have to do is write their name and their school on a piece of paper... You have 24 hours to stick it in the goblet. It selects it at the next feast, so the next day, Halloween. And if you're selected, it's a magical binding contract. So you have to participate. Which does make me wonder, like, what happens if you decide not to? Which I can get more into in the spoilers. Okay. So, yeah, he basically lays it all out there. And then after this big dramatic monologue speech, he's like, and now for bed. And all of them go off to bed. Well, there's something before that, too. He talks about the age line, right? A oh, there's a special yeah. rule. You can only enter if you are a 17, 17, yeah, You're not under 17, which obviously Fred and George and several others get excited about because they think they can go around those rules, just take an aging potion and... 
that gets them up to April and, you know, 17 years old. I think so many of the students are numbed to Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> Because they see him all the time. He's a little aloof, let's be real. And, right. You know, he's the one saying the weird words at the start of term feast. And, <laughs> like, he seems like a kooky old guy. Right. At some points. And I think they're numbed to the fact that his magic is... Incredibly strong. Incredibly strong. And he doesn't exactly slip on the details. Right. Well, but I anyway. want to go back to the aging question for a second. Because I feel like, uh, in just by the title alone... Like, Fred and George and Lee Jordan and anyone else who attempted to take it. Like, I think they thought it'd mean I'm older by days, by years. But I feel like it's, like, it ages you physically, not necessarily number-wise. So you could be, like, yeah, you're 17, but if you took, like, a whole bottle's worth of the aging potion, you're a 17-year-old in physical, like, appearance, but... Your ability, your physical ability is like an 80-year-old kind of a thing. Does it have anything to do with the fact that maybe he put into the magic, like, no matter what, you're Fred Weasley. Like, you are who you are. You were born at a certain time. You're right. not going to, you know. Right. It is know. what it is. It just makes you wonder, like, like, I feel like someone would want an aging potion. I mean, I don't really know why someone would want an aging potion unless it was just like... Why would you want to take one? I mean, there's probably both. There's the aging up and aging down potions. Yeah. Yes. I don't remember how, like, vicious the age line was either. Like, I remembered the beards part, which, of course, is hilarious. But I don't remember it throwing them, like, a shot put out of the line. Yeah. So the next day, essentially, we get uh, all of the information. Because all of the students, it's a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Normally, they'd all sleep in. And just mm -hmm. get there for lunch or whatever. Not today. Today, they decided to all go down early and try to watch as many people as possible put their name forward for Which, it. I agree with Harry. Like, I would want to do it at night when no one is paying attention. Because that would be incredibly awkward to have everybody looking at you. Anxiety of that. Depends on who you are. If you're a 14-year-old child, yes. <laughs> if you're a 17-year-old that's confident about their chances. 17-year-olds get anxious, too. Sure. But I assume you're, like... Putting your name in because you think... Because you, Dumbledore does a good job of laying down a very real danger to this mm -hmm. the night before. And mm -hmm. previously when he spoke about it. It's like, this is dangerous. People have died. I could see the confidence of being like, well, I'm 17 and I can cross the line without getting a beard. Yeah, I think... Look at the people that we know for a fact have actually legitimately qualified. Yeah, there's Warrington of Slytherin, which no one seems happy about. Cedric of Hufflepuff and Angelina Johnson of Gryffindor. All three are Quidditch players. Right. All three are Quidditch players, and we know and we know well of Diggory and Angelina's specific Quidditch prowess, because they've played with and against Harry a couple of times. So we really know them. They're talented. They're do athletic. Think, do you think like certain personalities are more drawn to this then? To like extroverts more so than introverts? Um, no, because introverts can still have a confidence about them. They they might not want to stroll through a parade of students to put their name in. Right. But introverts can still be... Now... I'm just thinking, like, they're all ones who are actively seen on a stage of, like, I mean, athletics. They're used to it. it's, like, you're used to attention and all that stuff. I wonder if that, that's Crowds don't bother it. them as much. Yeah. Because they know crowds are obviously going to be part of the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah. So... 
Yeah, there's probably that aspect to it. I would imagine if you think you're academically up to it or you're athletically up to it, one or the two, or mm. preferably both, mm-hmm. then you feel comfortable putting your name in. But yeah. uh, now there were some that did not qualify. <laughs> you had Miss Fawcett of Ravenclaw and a new character that I don't remember ever hearing about ever, Mr. Summers of Hufflepuff. And neither of them could fool uh, the aging line. They both tried the aging potion, both failed, and both in the hospital wing trying to get their beards shaved off or whatever. (laughs) Um, I do want to mention, uh, before we get too far away from it, uh, as they were all filing out of the Great Hall the night before, Mm -hmm. uh, there were a couple of interesting interactions. Oh, yeah, yeah. And one of them was... Harry, Ron, and Hermione were trying to leave the Great Hall at the same time Karkaroff and Crumb were trying to leave the Great Hall. Mm-hmm. And Karkaroff is kind of acquiescing yeah. to Crumb and being like, is there anything you need tonight? Do you want to be a little bit warmer? Is there any he mulled has wine? favorites. No, no, no. He doesn't have favorites. He, he has, has favorite. favorite. <laughs> Singular. Yeah. And uh, Crumb is like, no, no, no. I don't want any of that. And... One of the other students is like, I'll take the mulled wine. Like, I'll have some wine. And uh, he's like, absolutely not. Polyakov? Polyakov? Yeah, I wasn't offering it to you. I noticed you have dribbled food all down the front of your robes again. Disgusting boy. <laughs> Dang, okay. It's like, can we just be real? Why didn't Karkaroff just bring crumb? <laughs> just in case the goblet said no. Did he want to, to your point earlier, did he just want to acquiesce to some maybe some politically powerful parents in and around the school and just be like, I guess I'll bring them. But really... Give me a donation and I'll bring your child along. Maybe something. But obviously (laughs) he's favoring Crumb heavily. Mm -hmm. Well, Harry is polite. He holds the door for Karkaroff and that accidentally leads to a whole like traffic jam because Karkaroff freezes in his spot and just kind of looks at Harry and is like, oh my gosh, frozen. And everyone else is like, what? What's with the holdup? And then Moody comes over and that also gets a, um, a certain reception out of Karkaroff that his color drained from his face and a look of mingled fury and fear came over him. I mean, wouldn't you have a little bit of fear in you if you saw Mad-Eye Moody standing <laughs> at you, addressing you? You'd be like, what is going on? Well, clearly there's some history here because Moody also has a look of intense dislike upon his Both face. eyes focused on Karkaroff. Yeah. Not his usual one eye and then the other eye is zooming around in his head. Yeah, so something's going on there. Um, we'll have to come back to it in the spoilers. But yes, so yeah, they definitely have an interesting exchange, interesting exchange between Karkaroff and Harry there a little bit. You know what else we forgot to talk about? Hmm. Before the second feast, stopping by Hagrid's hut. Hagrid's having a moment here. Yeah, so uh, we get to the day, the the next day after we found out who's qualified, who or not who's qualified, who's put their name forth and who has failed putting their name forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a Saturday, they're just going to go down, visit Hagrid. They haven't done it in a while. Hagrid offers some sweet lunch of beef casserole that comes with a talon in it. But the food, I feel like, isn't the most off-putting thing about this visit. It's the fact that Hagrid has tried to groom himself to a certain level of success, which is very, very tiny. You know what? It's not even the grooming. It's not even, like, the slick back with axle grease hair. Well, two ponytails of his hair and the most horrible suit that he possibly owns. No, no, it's the suit. 
Like, let's not go past the suit. It's not even just an, a brown suit. Brown it's suits can be very attractive. Harry brown. brown suit plus a checkered, checked yellow and orange tire, tie. And then he did the axle grease. He tried a ponytail, but he had too much hair. And then later on, he puts on cologne, which is like, oh my gosh, sir. Well, too br- much. brown suits can be very attractive. Uh, maybe not with a yellow and orange tie. <laughs> Uh, unless you're doing like a weird fall, but that'd be orange tie. With it the gives brown me 70s nut. vibes for some reason. Well, the hairy brown gives me the shag carpet <laughs> feel, which would be 70s. It's the hairy part of the brown suit that throws the whole thing off. It's like that's a non starter right there. <laughs> Wrong choice. Mm. But anyway. Well, he's dressing up because there's someone attractive nearby. Yes. That he's showing off for. Hagrid immediately ditches the trio to walk up to the castle with Madame Maxine and, and uh, the bow buttons. Yep. Which makes sense. I mean, she's the first woman he's seen his size. So go for it. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot when you got it. Yeah. Uh, just not in a Harry Brown suit. So, <laughs> um, we get to the second feast. Mm-hmm. The Which Halloween feast. Which really cares about, right? I mean, they're just like, let's eat and hurry up. Come on. Come on. Yeah, usually the Halloween feast is like a major moment at Hogwarts. Because mm-hmm. it's so fantastical with the live bats and all the jack-o'-lanterns, which were magically set up immediately. Like, right. they had very little time to set this up, but they did. And uh, Man, they have magic. Still, that's a, that's a quick... <laughs> Live bats? Like, <laughs> over 100 live bats? Anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, they get through the feast, and we get to the announcement of the champions. Which I do like how, like, like all the lights go out, so everyone's focused on the goblet, and whenever a name comes out, it goes from the bluish-white flames to, like, this, like, red, yellow, orange kind of thing, and the, the paper just shoots out with the correct names on it. And it goes uh, pretty pretty straightforward in the in the way that builds as much dramatic tension as possible because <laughs> you get Durmstrang first, which stunning no one is Victor Crumb mm-hmm. is your champion from Bobaton is Flor Delacour the villa looking woman the the woman that Ron was uh, so uh, taken affected by, by yes, yeah. earlier with the long shimmering hair mm-hmm. and your Hogwarts champion is Cedric Diggory. Ooh. Hufflepuff. Which the Hufflepuffs go nuts. This is Hufflepuff's moment in the sun. Yeah. Forget Gryffindor. Forget Ravenclaw. Forget Slytherin. This is our moment. Imagine our if it had just stopped there. Like, that would have been so cool for Hufflepuff. Well, just you know, to have the whole school behind you for the first time instead of calling you a whole bunch of dufferheads or whatever. It's it's amazing because it seems like the thing that's like the knock on Cedric from everybody else mm-hmm. at Hogwarts, because they they don't seem to knock his Quidditch playing, right. although they're upset that he beat Harry. Right. They don't seem to knock his academic, like, actual magical talent. The thing they knock the most, and specifically Ron, I guess, knocks the most. He calls him a pretty boy. Pretty boy, all the time. <laughs> He's attractive. They're jealous. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, that's the thing that they choose to knock the most. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, but uh, we've also got a fourth champion, a second one from Hogwarts. Your Gryffindor, Harry Potter. And that's the uh, name drop, mic drop moment at the end of the chapter, which Mm -hmm. JK loves to do so much. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just stop reading the chapter. You gotta go to the next one. Gotta flip it, gotta flip it over. Yeah. And we are gonna flip it right over the spoiler (laughs) section. 
so we'll be right back uh, with a lot of spoiler thoughts. Elizabeth has a couple of rebuttal thoughts from previous episodes. <laughs> so we'll get all into that. Till the Alright, so we're back with the spoiler section, and we wanted to kick it off with the Moody Karkaroff exchange. So... It was intense. It was intense, <laughs> and as you said in the non-spoiler section, there's obviously got to be a prior history there between the two. Which we know there is. Well, Moody is a dark wizard catcher. That's his primary profession in life. That's mm -hmm. what he identifies with the most. Which would lead you to think that Karkaroff came across his path <laughs> as a dark wizard. Well, we know point. they did. They, they yeah. were in the whole um, trial that we see later on in this book, right? Where Moody was mentioning how long it took him to get Karkaroff and how all the names he was dropping. Like, he's still going to get off. That was irritating him. Yeah, so I, I think that little dust-up between... Harry, Karkaroff, and Moody, uh, which, again, not Moody, it's Crouch, which... There's just so many layers to this. There's layers to this. That's the perfect way to say it. Because Moody has issues with Karkaroff, yes. Right. Crouch also has issues with Karkaroff. Right, I think that look of disgust was real Crouch coming through on Moody's face. 100%. Like, there's just, there's so many thoughts about, here you are, a previous Death Eater... Walking around free, getting to do whatever the heck Headmaster you want. of a school. Headmaster of a school, clearly enjoying the perks that go along with that. And, you know, he has been imprisoned this entire time, wanting to get to Voldemort, his master, and not being able to. There's pure disgust with that. Um, Karkoff seeing Harry, of course, is like a whole different level of, you know, you are the child that destroyed my master and made me like be on trial and, and have to talk my way out of it, out of Azkaban. And, and like the scene you grown up is, is another reminder of like his past life that he's clearly trying but, to get away from. But also, and I think Crouch has some of this too. I think Karkaroff experiences a little bit of it here. Oh, you're Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. I think curiosity overwhelms everything else. And it's like, how did you beat my master like how did you do that what's special about you i don't know about that i think it's more of the fear like the reminder like that life that i had still exists and as far as i try to get away from that life like there's still reminders of it out there i always got the impression i guess with everybody not just former death eaters or current death eaters <laughs> uh that everybody has that same curiosity. Like, they're amazed by Harry, and they're thankful for what he did, whether passively or not. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. But there's always that curiosity about him, like... How did you survive? How did you survive? What is so special about you? Are you that powerful? Like, what about you is special? I think, yeah, everyone and has that's the pressure that, that Harry But has. I think in this moment, it's seeing Harry Potter is a reminder of his past life, and he's like... I don't want, I wasn't expecting that. I'm in my moment. I'm in my glory. And then not just seeing Harry, but then also seeing Moody, who's also part of his past life. And it's like, oh, shoot. Like, it's enough to make someone freeze. It's definitely enough to make someone pause, for sure. Um, 
But yeah, the big thing I wanted to get across is, yes, Alistair Moody has issues with Karkaroff, but... Barty Crouch has so much more. <laughs> uh, definitely more vindictive. Yeah. Uh, so there's, once again, a lot there, and as you so aptly put it, layers. There's layers. There's layers. So Speaking of Crouch, so, like, his whole... We know he snuck off in the middle of the night to go to the Goblet of Fire and submit Harry's name... And he had to do a confundus charm on the goblet, which I have two thoughts about. Like, one, you had to be so careful about when you submitted this. Because if any child were to walk by, be like, oh, you know, Professor Moody, what are you doing? If Dumbledore happened to be awake and wandering, or if Peeves came out of nowhere and was just, like, floating around. Like, if anyone saw this, the whole plan is shot. And if the magic is not quick enough or careful enough or correct enough, again, the whole plan is shot. So he had to be a little bit careful, which, again, I know you guys keep praising Barty Crouch. I will join in on that. Like, he did a good job with that. But I also have the second thought of, like, okay, with this Goblet of Fire, like, he had to do a Confundus charm that is used to, like, confuse something with a brain, with, with like, a sentient element to it so it makes me wonder like how similar the goblet of fire is to the sorting hat since both have the ability to select in the way they've been designed or or magic to select things and i just wonder like i mean what's the level of sentience that the goblet has that a confundus charm is the thing to confuse it you know what i mean uh well I think it, it might be similar to the Sorting Hat in that type of magic, being able to discern a student's essence and being. And worth, yeah. Um, there, there might be part of that. Um, it's obviously an extremely powerful magical object. I don't know who created it. I would assume... I tried looking that up. Okay, I tried to do a deeper dive, as you sometimes do, uh -huh. and there was very little information on the Goblet of Fire. They said how no one knows when it was created, no one knows who created it, and there's questions of whether or not it was used in previous tournaments, since no one seemed to remember it at this tournament being used at the previous one, but it's also been so long, so it's like, you know, like, it, it, it's... There's, there's very little information, which is a shame. Like, I feel like a magical object that is this important should have a trail behind it, or at least be mentioned in the tournaments. Who knows? Um, but I also wonder, too, with it, like, Dumbledore said how that's like a binding magical contract, right? Mm -hmm. And that reminded me a little bit of the Unbreakable Vow that we see Snape make later on in Book 6, of, of how it, you know... You, you make this promise, and you're bound to it, and if you break that, you die. So I'm wondering if it's almost like they had to do an unbreakable vow with the goblet just by submitting their names, and if they then choose to not participate, like, yes, that does mean death. You know, like, I, I don't understand, like, if it's the same type of magic or, or what. I don't know what the end result is like what's the what's the end point if you're let's say you're injured in the first task mm -hmm. and you can't continue mm -hmm. you've participated 
Does well, the contract imagine, then I become guess, validated? I guess it depends on how bad of an injury. If it's if like, you can't go on, if you're if it's like you've lost your memory and and no, you're just like there's some injury that doesn't allow you to participate in the rest of the tournament, whatever that may be. Like, that can't be fixed by magic. That can't be fixed in the time allotted or what have you. Mm-hmm. Does that then still qualify the contract? Does that still appease the contract? Yeah, I don't know. Because then you're pulling out of the tournament, but you've also already participated. It's not like you're pulling out after you've already submitted your name. Yeah, I mean, like, we see in the next chapter, I mean, Barty Crouch Sr. goes on about how, like, it's very clear in the rule book, like, they have to participate. It's a binding contract. It's like, well, why? Like, what happens if they don't? Is it death? Do they just fall over dead if they quit? I mean, we know that we know that the first task is dragons, mm-hmm. and we know that dragons have their own inherent magical qualities to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Madame Pomfrey can <laughs> deal with all sorts of dragon-related maladies that come their way. She does her best. Um, I don't know. I don't know what her skill set is in regards to that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she'd have to call in like Charlie and mm-hmm. help deal with whatever. I don't know. I, I mean, like, imagine, like, like book two when Hermione took the Polyjuice Potion with the cat hair. Like, that knocked her out for a month. So if it was that kind of thing, well, That's I guess there's, there's a month before the next Like, task. if you get badly burned I don't by a dragon, I don't know that there might be some... Maybe that's why the tasks are so spread out. Do you think there's always just been three tasks? Or, like, more? I'd assume three, yeah. Hmm? Three would be the magical number in this. Like, literally. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, going back to, since you mentioned the Confundus charm, Mm -hmm. um, why did no one think, and maybe this is what Moody did, or maybe not, I don't know. I don't know why Fred and George couldn't come up with this, but would doing, like, writing your name and your school on a piece of parchment, and then literally Wingardium Leviosa it (laughs) over... So you're not stepping across the age line. I feel like And you then have just dropping to. it into the goblet. I feel like it has to be delivered by hand in order for the goblet to like get a sense of you, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, f- I I could just imagine if you try to guard your Mleriosa, it's just like invisible barrier and it's like whacking against an invisible barrier. I can't get through. Maybe. No. Yeah. Any other uh, rebuttals that you've had from previous episodes? You mentioned the crouch thing from earlier. Well, one more thing with the age line. It's a shame that Dumbledore didn't put, like, an age limit with the line as as well as, like, an age, like, maximum. You know, like, you know, like, so that adults couldn't cross it. Just 17-year-olds. If it was just a, restricted to 17-year-olds, then yeah. the whole plot would have fallen through. I, I get it, but, you know, he's also thinking that's pointless. Right. <laughs> because if you're I mean, 17, you? right. Karkaroff and Mick seem don't have to do that because they brought all 17-year-olds. Right. So they don't have... So, so it's just a shame it wasn't just like, okay, it's an age line of you're 17, and then you can cross. Anyone under 17, you can't. Unless you're Dumbledore, because you make a loophole for yourself. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Is Crumb actually a little older? Is Crumb like eighteen? I don't know. I don't but know. Anyway, um, other thoughts from previous episodes. You and Anna have obviously been talking a lot about Crouch and Moody and showing him all the love, which is 
made me giggle a little bit. Um, you made a comment about Lupin that I was like, Dan, are you kidding me? What? You said how he would treat first years like kindergartners. They are like kindergartners. They're not like kindergartners. Yes, they they're are. young, but they're not. You're like picture books sitting in a circle on the floor in the carpet. They have nap time in their classes. <laughs> they have snacks. Lupin will like juice box. Lupin treats them with respect. He's not gonna baby them. He's gonna keep it more simple, sure, but he's not gonna like baby them. It just made me laugh. Um, that and you guys were talking a lot about what do you think Moody and Lupin do with their upper level classes, which I have also thought about. I imagine it's similar to what Snape does with Harry in their sixth year. I mean, we see a lot of Harry just scoffing at whatever Snape does, but Snape's a good teacher, regardless of how he treats his students. He's still a, a good educator. So I imagine the lesson plans he did were, like, on the correct level that they should have been. You know what? Speaking of that for a second, mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about this the other day, too, about how uh, Moody falls right in line with every other Hogwarts professor. Mm -hmm. In that, if you look at any of them, and I do mean any of them. Lockhart, too? Lockhart especially, but <laughs> but even McGonagall, who's very straight-laced and very, like, rigid. Oh, so not, rigid. Just, not just Defense Against Dark Arts teachers. No, no, any, any of the teachers. Okay. They all try to impress students the first lesson of a year. <laughs> Moody, or Crouch, yeah, falls right into before. that. Yeah, he does. With going does. big on the first lesson. Yeah. Every teacher does it. My question more with that being the first lesson... Like, you guys were, you and Anna were talking about how potentially he looked at the roster and thought, like, okay, I'm going to teach these curses because I can poke at them. Like, Harry Potter's in this class. Neville Longbottom's in this class. Like, they have a history with these curses. Let me sadistically, like, twist in some, some needles into them or something. I don't know if it's just he's teaching this because... That's what the lesson plan says, and I have to maintain the facade to convince Let's Dumbledore. Let's be real. Crouch does not have a lesson plan. He is winging this 100%. He's been given some curriculum. <sighs> I don't think so. I think he has. I think, like, I think Dumbledore has some expectations of what should be taught, and he's doing it. But I wonder I if I don't he think thinks... Dumbledore micromanages his... I think he lets his teachers go. Well, he said that later. He said how Dumbledore had higher expectations of the kids of what they're capable of because he said normally they wouldn't show. Yeah, it's just Dumbledore being Dumbledore. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's there's some. I mean, they have textbooks that they're supposed to be gleaming lessons from. So I don't know. I feel like he has more curriculum than we're giving him credit for. But I just wonder how much he's thinking about like. If I teach them this, will it backfire later? Ann and I talked a little bit about that uh, last chapter, um, about what his motivations might be. Would Voldy approve of him teaching these things? Potentially throw off an Imperius curse, or what the Cruciatus curse even is, or the Killing curse, or any of that. Mm -hmm. Like, what would then happen? I don't know, but I also, to the point about the curriculum, I don't think Voldy is being like, teach this. Or don't teach this. I don't think he cares. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> like, I think he just wants him to be able to maintain his cover. But I just like I like I wonder if the thought ever crosses Crouch's mind of like, oh, if I teach them how to do this later on, they might actually succeed at it and that could backfire. 
But maybe he's also just thinking they're teenagers. They're not going to deal with Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah. But I have enjoyed your guys' conversations. Very, very pro Barty Crouch. It's funny because I wasn't expecting that with this book. Same way I wasn't expecting the pro Trelawney comments of the last So what exactly is worse then? Trelawney predicting Harry's going to die every year. (laughs) Or Moody literally teaching kids how to kill someone. Uh, What's worse? That's a hard one. Right? And people seem to be totally fine with Moody's lesson, but not okay with Trelawney. I guess in defense of, of Crouch's lesson, it's real world stuff that they will need to know at some point. Like, I mean... Yes. Draco like, will need to learn how to torture somebody. Well, I mean, like, that is, not, he's that not is telling true. them how to do it. He's just saying, like, he's what... He's literally doing it. He's doing it as a, like, as... And he tells as, them you gotta mean it. Well, okay, yeah, but, like... <laughs> That's both instructions no, right there. but I mean, like, when... We've seen other spells, how you have to do a certain wand movement, or you have to say it a certain way, or whatever. He's not telling them, like, okay, this is how you do the killing curse. But knowing that it exists is like it's important to know about in case you run across it it's the same way like like we i don't know this is where my mind goes but thinking about like in in schools when we do our active shooter drills right like we practice it because it could happen you should be aware of it so if it does you're not completely caught off guard at least you're aware of this is a danger and he's not encouraging them to do it it's not dark arts it's defense against the dark arts I, I just found it interesting how Trelawney predicts students are going to die, and yet Moody's literally teaching people how to torture and kill things. But her predictions with, like, someone's going to die, I mean, yeah, there's there's not much truth behind it, for the most part. But it is still like, well, why are you telling them they're going to die? I mean, Harry has been put in perilous mortal deaths possible situations every single year he's in. I guess with like with Moody it's like here's he, I mean he says his constant vigilance right like here's the chance of this happening be aware whereas if you were to take Trelawney as being you know not a fraud well then she's saying someone's gonna die then someone is going to die. Specifically Harry. Specifically Harry right every year Harry. I don't know. It's it's a. It's She's a, got like a fifty-fifty chance every year, <laughs> well, and then she hits on one year, and then it's like. <laughs> anyway, we're getting off track. We are. Uh, we should probably just end it here, uh, <laughs> and we will be back with chapter seventeen next week. Yeah, the four champions. The four champions. So we'll kind of break in, uh, break down the four champions a little bit more in that episode. But thank you for sticking with us and listening. <laughs> And, and commenting on <laughs> Twitter and Instagram, we appreciate all the love and all of the listens. <laughs> so, thank you all. And with that, we'll see you next week. Bye! Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.